Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersh. All right, welcome to another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. As usual, your host, I'm Marianne. You know me by now. I work with nonprofit leaders to master the art of influence so they can ask for anything they want without feeling rejected, ineffective, or pushy, because who wants to feel like that? Helping people navigate the feelings so they can step into their power and get the resources they need. And I'm very excited because we're talking with Chelsea and Alejandro from FunMiner. And before we get into this, I want to say this is so important what we're going to talk about today because relationships are all about trust and building trust. And trust comes from behaving in a consistent fashion. And a lot of times our systems and structures inside our organization don't allow us to do that. And this is why this is so important. And I want to talk about, and you all probably heard me talk about how we create change, but one of the ways that we create change is creating consistency and delivering in a consistent and trustworthy measure. And we're going to talk about that today with my friend, my new friends from El Paso, Texas, Chelsea and Alejandro. I have your bios here, but why don't you just give the, everybody just a quick intro and then we always kick off with the first question. So, but just give me a little intro and then we're, we're going to get into some stuff. Chelsea, you go, go sure. ahead. Yeah, happy to kick us off here. And thanks for having us again, Marianne. We're excited to be here. My name is Chelsea Lamego. I'm the co-founder and CEO of FundMiner. And FundMiner is really something that was born out of my last job. And it's sort of an intersection of both my sort of life path so far and my passion. I grew up in El Paso. I studied at University of Texas in El Paso twice. For undergrad, I majored in management with a concentration in entrepreneurship. That's where my sort of passion in all of this comes into, into play is the entrepreneurship component. Then I went back to Utah for a second time to get my MBA. And while I was getting my MBA, I had to switch jobs because of the school time commitments. And so I was looking for something a little bit more flexible. And all of us who work in the nonprofit world, tends to also like, it tends to be a little bit more flexible than your, your average corporate job. So I moved into the nonprofit space for that reason at the time. I ended up being the executive director of El Paso Opera. I did that for two years and that was my first foray into the nonprofit world. That's where I sort of thought I understood nonprofits until my next job was working for the same university that I had just graduated from in the advancement office overseeing advancement operations. And that's where at a, a larger scale advancement office, I've learned that everything I thought I knew previously was not right. And I started to really pick up on best practices and how to effectively run an advancement and fundraising operation at scale. That job led me to found FundMiner, which I think we'll, we'll talk a, a good amount about today. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Alejandro, before you start, you're going to get a preview. And I always ask this first question, Chelsea, tell me something you're really proud of that you don't get to brag about a lot. Like, like, think about oh, what is something that you're proud of. Now, Alejandro, you get the you get to think about it now. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I should have gone second. I'm going to remember that for for that. But just kidding here. Uh, something I'm really proud of that I I don't brag about all the time. I think kind of going back to this university setting, it was just maybe my journey through school and to entrepreneurship. I moved out of my house when I was 17 years old and put myself through college. 
And then I uh, went to, to school, got my MBA, and ended up working in the advancement office, which raises money for scholarships. So that was really special to me because it was an industry where we were doing work that would help the same type of person I was. And I, I didn't really know about you know access to those types of scholarships previously or, yeah. or have access to them. So that's something I, I feel really proud of is sort of that full circle that now I feel like I'm kind of contributing to yes uh, yes that struggle that I had in myself oh that's beautiful thank you okay Alejandro welcome thanks Marianne thanks for having us uh yeah so a bit about myself name's Alejandro I do not come from a nonprofit space before fund minor actually my focus has always been engineering and product. I started electrical and computer engineering with a focus on data science from the University of Texas at Austin. I started my career as, an, as a software engineer, so building code, and then progressed to uh, product management where I was before Fun Miner. I was in up in Seattle. I'm in El Paso, Texas now, so I was in a very different climate, both weather-wise and just industry-wise. And in Microsoft, I was in the Substrate Intelligence Division, which is their core AI division to power intelligent experiences across M365 scenarios. So Microsoft 365 business collaborative that we all know and love. And, you know, a couple of flagship products that me and my team shipped were the Viva Topics and now pretty well-known M365 Copilot. So since AI is top of mind for, for the industry, I was very lucky to be specialized in it since, um, since my education and got some real industry experience to scale you know, software from one to millions of users. Now I'm leveraging that expertise into FunMiner. FunMiner, of course, now co-founder, along with Chelsea and chief product technology officer. We're super excited to um, to tell you all about FunMiner and in general, the industry, where why there is a need for a product like FunMiner and in, in, in really improving the operations of nonprofits and fundraising organizations. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get into that. And also, how excited are you in Texas this week after beating Alabama? How is Super. That? Very, very <laughs> exciting. Actually, funny story. I was in the, and I'm glad you know that, Maria. Now, I'll ask. Oh, I, I'm all into the sports. Trust me. <laughs> That's awesome. Funny story. I was actually in a, in a wedding. We were in a wedding dinner and half of the table in which I was had their phone out as we were dinner in this wedding and it was a very formal dinner but everyone had uh, half of the people had their phone out checking the the alabama versus ut game and you know we did a couple of toasts after that. yeah i bet i bet i guess you're trying to like with like i'm trying to be very formal yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would totally that would totally be me all right okay so let let's first talk about the issue or some of the problems that folks have. Like I'm working with a group right now and there's a couple of different disparate systems that we work through and we can make workarounds and, you know, and everybody's doing the best with what they have. Let, let's just start there. But, you know, from your point of view, why do I, I feel like this is kind of a chronic issue of disparate systems, manual data entry. Why, why, are, why haven't those things changed? You know, I think what first comes to mind is the Technology that's generally available to the nonprofit space is certainly be behind the times to to begin with, and that might be related to some misnomers when it comes to is the nonprofit industry a good industry to sell products and technology products into? And I think previously the thought maybe was, hey, nonprofits don't have any money, so why should we create companies that are for profit who are going to sell into this? that has no money to pay for them. 
I think that's been proven wrong time and time again. And so uh, you now see a lot of new new players in in the technology game in the nonprofit space, but it's fairly it's fairly new and in recent times. So I do think part of maybe why we are so behind the times with with technology. And when you look at technology available to the nonprofit sector versus the business sector, for example, I do think it might have to do with a little bit of that misnomer on the business side when it comes to tech companies and, and whether or not selling into that segment makes sense. Turns out it, it does. And there's a lot of nonprofits in the world who are very large and have large budgets to fund their programs and assistance and operations to support those programs. So that might be something that contributes to sort of why it's like that. Apart from that, my mind goes to two other things. One, if you're a larger organization, especially a larger organization that just has a fundraising function embedded in it, your fundraising office is going to have to collaborate with other divisions and departments who have their own systems. So you're going to have a separate accounting department and accounting system and a separate awarding department and awarding system. If you have endowments that are being invested, that might be outsourced. If you uh, have documents, it might be a centralized organizational system, not your in-advancement systems. So I think it has to do a little bit with the organizational structure as well. But even when you go from the large nonprofits into the small ones, you might have less systems, but you still have a separate accounting system from your CRM system, and you still are storing documents separate from that. So it seems to be a issue that the industry hasn't really been able to get away from or come up with a solution until now, I suppose, because that's exactly what we at FundMiner are solving for, is we aggregate data from those different siloed systems to provide the folks who are managing funds with a holistic view of the information on the funds they oversee that would otherwise be in these siloed systems. So we really are that centralized hub or, or platform aggregating that data. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to add a little bit to that because one of the things that I think plagues our industry, which, you know, is the overhead myth and the idea that we're reluctant to in reinvest infrastructure because, oh, that's taking that very dated sense of, oh, that's not programs. That's not helping people, you know, so we can't put money in there. We have to, and the there's a little because, you know, I'm the, the girl that helps people process feelings. Like there's a feeling like of guilt. Oh, I can't put money in there. There is a chronic underinvestment in infrastructure. I think this is one indication, one piece of many that can fall under that. But I also feel like this is the one that takes up a lot of time and energy when you're the person who wants to connect with the donors and to right and to be able yeah. to share information easily. You really hit the the nail on on the head there with when it comes to we really want to look at technology as an investment, right? And so you're investing in infrastructure that is going to support and help you to meet your your organizational goals. And so if your goal is to offer more programs, it helps to fundraise to support those programs, right? But in order to fundraise more, you have to be able to use your funding, demonstrate impact in order to make your donors happy and for them to see and feel that impact. And that really perpetuates that cycle of more giving into the future. So I think by looking at looking at it as more of a long-term investment, you start to see the the ROI and value of it. It's not a from day to one day to the next, you, you see and feel the difference. But by effectively utilizing your funds and by investing in the infrastructure and systems to support your your fundraising operation, everything that happens after you receive the gift 
you're really perpetuating longer term sustainability growth, happier donors, more funding, more programs. Yes, exactly. So and and since how I started this conversation, better relationships, right? We're we're building the technology to support stronger relationships. So what was the inspiration? Chelsea, you you tapped on a little bit and you I think you both did a little for fun minor. And I want to tap into what Alejandro said a little bit about the scalability. How do you help with the scalability? Or what does it look if I'm a small nonprofit and I'm listening to this? I think most of my listeners, there's I'm gonna call them small to medium. I don't really have any like data on that. But you, that's kind of who, who where I roll. How can they scale up? How can they do better? How can they get out of this trap? Sure. I can um, give it a first step there, Marianne. Thanks for the question. Well, there's a couple of things that are very, again, as an outsider in the first outsider in, from, from this industry, there were a couple of things that I found quite interesting as to how these nonprofits and fundraising organizations operate, both on the small side and then the big side. First is that not all money is the same, right? That is quite a simple concept. But once you have, not just because you have X amount of money in the bank means you're able to spend it however you want. There's this thing called restrictions and honoring donor intent, right? Right. That is a key a difficulty that we see uh, ranging across all nonprofits, small, medium, and large. Because you have these restrictions, one of the first things that happened when you're having difficulty going from 10 different funds that have restricted that have restrictions to 25 to 100 is being able to manage those restrictions because it's one thing being able to scale your fundraising team so that you can knock on more doors and get more donors but it's another thing being able to manage the funds that you've actually landed and be able to spend the money that's really where software and technology can allow you to scale by automating a bunch of the tasks that you would have to do manually and being able for for this technology to be your co-pilot, if you will, in many of the operations so that whenever you need to pay, pay close attention to, say, your compliance program, do you have a compliance program? Or And many of the cases, small and medium, large, small to medium nonprofits and fundraising organizations don't have the resources or the time to have a full-on compliance committee. So how can you leverage software for the software to act as your compliance program and being able to customize and have like, hey, I want to track uh, how many funds have zero expenditures from year to date or excess accumulation if they're invested funds. All of these things you could do and historically has been done manually by a small and medium large uh, and large organizations. But you can leverage a lot of the software that's out there so that you can get these automated and you can scale again from these 10 funds to your 25 to your 100 funds and, and get well into the thousands as long as your operations are tiny. Gotcha. So people are tracking, you know, you might have 10 and you're tracking them manually. Then if you can automate it, then you can grow and grow and grow and keep the funds, right? And then being able to navigate them. So how does that help me as a development person connect better to donors? Good question. And two primary things come to mind. As far as connecting with donors, when you're fundraising, there's you're building trust, right, with your donor that you're working with as a fundraiser. And especially if they are giving money to a restricted fund, there are some level of expectations there, either that you're going to use the funds in alignment with the restrictions or baseline, you're going to make a positive impact with the funding they're providing, right? Right. So as far as relationship building, being able to measure how those funds were used and having the data available to report back to or share the story with donors of their impact 
really starts to build that trust and that positive cycle that's going to get you more donors, more donations, more impact over and over. And the second thing I wanted to mention is that, and Alejandro touched on this a bit with, with, with the scale item, is as you start to scale, you will need more people to manage your systems, operations, and infrastructure unless you leverage technology for that. And it's much better to, if you're going to, if you have hiring dollars, for example, instead of hiring a back office person to do manual repetitive tasks that technology can automate, it's really better to invest in hiring a development officer who then is going to be able to build that human connection with donors. And so leveraging technology is going to cost less than hiring someone to do that. And that frees up more money to invest in frontline work. So by really being efficient with your your technology and operations, you actually can have capacity on on fundraising. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Alan Hondro? One of the things I would double down on, uh, since you've talked about uh, relationships and we briefly mentioned reporting, reporting is a huge pain in the industry, right? It's difficult than most of the small to large size fundraising organizations only report on a percentage of their funds, right? A percentage of their donors, whether it's by size, by relationship, whatever the case is, right? Why? Because it's very difficult to do and it's very difficult to do right. Here I'm talking about impact reports as well as financial reports. And if you have a compliance side of things, then you also have a compliance report. These three sort of monsters when it comes to reporting can can be really brutal for the operations folks, but it really doesn't have to be, right? It doesn't have to be this difficult if you are able to, uh, again, connect uh, the data sources that are relevant to your organization so that a lot of this part is automated. Uh, you do not have to compromise and just report on a percentage of your funds, right? And make a percentage of your donors happy when that percentage can really be 100% and can truly become a strong foundation for a better uh, relationship that uh, thrives on transparency. Yeah. I would love to know, what is there a specific type of nonprofit that you serve more than others? Or is it kind of all over? Um, yes, we currently tend to um, serve larger nonprofits. So if you think about higher education, community foundations, larger foundations, academic medical centers, the healthcare industry, we do tend to primarily right now at the moment focus on the, the larger fundraising organization. And then I would love to hear just a little story. I'd love to hear like a before and after, like a little case study of how somebody streamlined their their systems and their reporting. Yeah. So one comes to mind because it hits close to home. So um, earlier on in, in the show, I mentioned that I worked for El Paso Opera. And we are a small nonprofit. I say we because I'm still heavily involved in, and on the board. We're a small nonprofit and I have sort of struggled for a really long time. I mean, small budget, very small staff. It's arts and culture, so typically yeah. not on the you know top priority for donors. And we worked really hard over the years on our goals and programs and funding and have started to grow a little bit and get some traction. And we're really trying to protect the long-term sustainability of the organization. So we made our first endowment. And we that was a big deal because there's a lot involved with understanding how endowments work and the distributions and do I get to spend that donor money or not? How does it work? And so we opted to work with a local community foundation. That community foundation happens to be a fund minor client. So I uh, fortunately, 
through my connection with the opera and with Fundminer, kind of see both sides of this. And from the community foundation perspective, before having a solution like Fundminer, one, they're doing all reporting manually. And like Alejandro mentioned, only doing in-depth reporting on a certain percentage of their funds. Right. Because they just don't have the bandwidth to do it on all right. of them. Right. And and so I said, El Paso Opera are one of the smallest donors that work with them. It's very new. And before having a solution like Fundminer, maybe on an annual basis would share baseline information or respond to inquiries or requests via phone or email with the opera company. But with a solution like Fundminer, the opera company is able to log directly in, look at their endowment investment information and what the book and market values are, how much is being distributed. They can also see the operating account and how much money they have available to spend out of it. They have access to their agreements. They can submit requests to the platform. So it really becomes more self-serve for the organization they're working with and allows the community foundation to offer better customer service. So one specific nonprofit, the community foundation is serving, now has more information at their fingertips and is more empowered with that data. And two, the community foundation is saving a ton of time and serving more of their customers better. That's kind of genius, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just, I mean, I love uh, that's just to be able to access the data. And like, okay, so the word like just reports and reporting makes me tired. Just, you know what I mean? Like, and I just, when you talk about it, I can't, you know, these, these are things that drain us and wear us down, right? Just the, the joy suckers, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so to have that autumn and do it even better than you can and not have to do it and do it better and then have access to that information very easily seems like that seems like a very wonderful thing to have. All right, Alejandro, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that story or? No, I think Chelsea put it beautifully. <laughs> All right. So if what are some of the tips besides, of course, connecting with Fundminer? What are some of the things that folks can do like right now to start managing their funds more effectively? Just from your experience, what can they do? No, I think one sort of baseline low-hanging fruit item that organizations of all sizes can tackle is making sure they're doing some level of impact reporting. And you can do two different types of impact reporting. So you can have a sort of engagement type impact report that tells you how the organization grew and performed and what they did over the last year, right? Second, especially if you have restricted funds, you can have a more in-depth impact report that is specific to that restricted fund than the donors who've given into that fund. So in a simple example, if it's restricted to scholarships, for example, you can then share the impact that the scholarships made specifically. And you might do that by collecting letters from your student. You might just make sure that the impact report or the narrative you're sending is focused on their restriction. So I think that there's two kind of different types of impact reporting where it's fund specific and purpose specific. And then there's like impact reporting on your whole organization. And I think that you should, as an organization, make sure you're doing some level of and I think the low-hanging fruit is doing it on your whole organization. And I think that doing so will actually make you a better nonprofit, a better org, because you're looking at what were the goals that I established at the beginning of the year? What did I communicate out to the community as my mission? And how am I, at the end of the year, conveying how I accomplished that? And so sometimes that retrospect review is really helpful in, in planning and, and being, being strategic. 
So I think impact reporting is is a sort of top tip that I would offer. If you start to get a little bit larger and have more or multiple restricted funds, that's when I would jump to fund hygiene and processes specifically. So really going back to basic, making sure you have everything documented, that folks know how much money they have, what the funds can be used on, when they should be used and on what, and that you're, again, reporting on each of those in that fund level fashion. All right. Awesome. That's beer. Yeah. For, for myself, Marian, I think, uh, and I was going to mention a couple of things like automating some of the your most recurring processes and maybe even establishing at least a concept of compliance within your organization. But I'm going to stop myself from going there and I'm going to say something a bit more foundational is even before you start thinking about these two things or even a couple of the things that Chelsea mentioned, you should start doing a, a very comprehensive data inventory in your organization. Where does your data live and what data gaps do you currently have, right? As you're trying to combine those very obscure spreadsheets that we all have living somewhere or that document library that could be physical or could be digital, but altogether, those documents have not been looked at in perhaps uh, semesters or even years, right? Doing comprehensive data inventory allows you to know what you have and more importantly, what you don't have. From that, the you follow that inventory theme and seeing what technologies are you currently leveraging, right? So do it in an inventory in your technologies and your services. Because oftentimes we can even be paying some subscriptions to for services that we don't uh, really leverage, right. right? Being very accountable for all of the technologies that you're already paying and seeing where the gaps are. Doing that exercise in combination to the data inventory will really let you know where your gaps are. And if you do it well, you'll have a very clear set of steps. And uh, later on, you're worried about compliance and you're wor worried about Right, uh, right. I, I use a phrase a lot. So, you know, re you release what no longer serves you to make room for what does. And that, that right, you're doing the data version of that. Because that, and I have worked with organizations where they're paying or they're into subscription services, or and this is more on the marketing side of things that I think it's, you know, it, it fits in here as like, you know, they're just not leveraging that and they're not using it. And it's costing them a lot of money and it's not really doing what they want to. Hey, you, let, let's, let's, okay, let's let that go and move, right? And then move our resources into what's really going to serve us. And then I feel like once you do that, then you have a really clear picture of like what you're saying is you have a really clear picture. Here's what your next step would be like it's going to become clear to you all right this is amazing how can people get in touch with you if they're interested to learn more about sunbinder yes so um they can find us on linkedin they can find us on instagram on twitter we also have a general email address that we would take uh, any comments questions concerns or ideas to it's just inquiry at fundminer.com um, and we are more than happy and excited to connect and of course our website is fundminer.com too yeah, and we'll put all of that in the in the show notes. And so if anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can and learn more about what you do. And thank you so much for sharing that because, th like I said, this isn't my world, but I know it's, a, the, right, this is not my slice of the pie, but I know it's a lot of other people's and I want to help people in any way that they can to just really streamline operations, make things easier. You know, it's allowed to be easy. I tell people that it's allowed to be easy. It doesn't have to be hard. Sometimes we think we have to make it hard. And for me, this is just like one of those things like, look, you can make it easy, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I know sometimes we like, feel like if I'm not suffering, I'm not helping other people, but that's, that's not, <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's not how it works. And all right. Now I always end with the last question. So here you go. If you're ever in St. Louis, I don't know, you know, if I'm in El Paso and we go to karaoke, 
what's your go-to song? Oh, <laughs> let me think about this. Uh, my favorite, I might, I, I'm really bad at karaoke, so I'm going to start with that and say it's going to be terrible no matter what song I That's play. okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with my um, recent, a recent pick, um, and that's Walking on a Dream. Right. Oh, walking off one. That's a walking on his what? Wait, who sings that? Hold on. What's? Uh, I hope I get this right. Empire of the Sun. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I need to think about that. Okay, yeah, I chose one that doesn't require a lot of singing. You know, you're just kind of saying. <laughs> that I mean, I mean, it's all picked rap. Yeah. Okay, Alejandro. All right. So for myself, I probably have to go uh, La Bamba. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think that's a really really solid one. It always makes my uh, my bones jiggle, and it's <laughs> it's not too demanding on the pitches. So I think uh, yeah 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 yeah. Good. And everybody else sing and dance along. That's that's what oh, yeah. you need, right? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for being here. Um, again, if you want to get a touch with Fun Miner, the it's all in the show notes. If you want to reach out to Chelsea and Alejandro, the LinkedIn, Instagram, the website to learn more about what they do, how it can help you streamline your processes and do less reporting and have better data. So who doesn't want that? All right. And this is it for me for this week of the Influential Nonprofit. If you haven't already, you can always go to the influentialnonprofit.com, throw in your email and get my Uplevel Your Influence Starter Kit. It's all kinds of cool stuff around what I talk about, how I teach people to um, get other people to do what they want without without having to push them into it. And that's it for me and this episode. Thanks again, Alejandro and Chelsea, for sharing your knowledge and your product. Awesome. Thanks, Marianne. Thank you, Marianne. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening to The Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dersh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, Check out the influentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.